0: Miss every disciple of Jesus is sent on a mission for the kingdom of God. And we're coming from Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 16. So you can turn your Bibles with me. If you have a Bible, this is one of those Sundays that would be helpful for you to have, okay, to kind of keep your finger on the main text, and then we'll be jumping around. Um, I won't have the scripture up for this main text up there, so it would be great for you to have it in front of you, and we'll jump around to other passages In the Bible, but it's Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 16. I'll read it and then we'll pray together and then we'll jump in. So, beginning in verse 7, it says, and this is Jesus speaking, as you go proclaim this message. Oh, another thing you're going to notice, guys, I have glasses. I'm a real OG. Um, So, I have glasses now. Take it easy. Okay. Thank you. This may also be so silly. It's so silly. Um, this, this may also help the sermon take a little longer. But uh, beginning in verse 7, Jesus speaking, it says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received And so freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person to stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave the home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, brothers and sisters. God, I come before you this morning with the sense that um, that in a very special way, things um, from this sermon uh, need to be heard, and in your mercy, Father, I pray that you would grant me the grace that with clarity and conviction, your word would be proclaimed, and oh Lord, in your mercy, Holy Spirit. You would add to it your effectual power so that your word going out would accomplish in every one of our hearts and our minds exactly what you sent it forth to do. Protect us from distraction. Grant us an attention span, increased one. Help us to hear. And, oh, Lord, may we be changed. May we be saved. Lord, may we be energized and encouraged to go out and be on mission for this glorious kingdom that you are even now bringing into this world. Lord, we give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. We continue to lift up Pastor Drew and his family, and we pray for your protection on them as they continue to take this sabbatical. Pray for safe travels as they're traveling about. And Lord, I pray that throughout the sabbatical, in your mercy, Lord, you would grant them deep rest. You'd grant them deep connection with each other, deep connection with you. And Lord God, you prepare them for coming back and continue to serve in faithfulness. Lord, we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise, because indeed you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So, i start this morning by telling you that um, I almost did not go to college. Looking at you through these glasses is crazy. Um, So I almost didn't go to college. Um, Wasn't the greatest student in high school. My high school was plagued by a lot of the issues that a lot of schools are plagued with now, a lot of violence and things of that nature. And I just honestly didn't like going a whole lot. And I wasn't sure I would go to college because I would be leaving my mom at home alone. And we hadn't been apart since my dad passed away when I was nine years old. So it had been a long time of just being me and her, and things weren't going so well financially at home. And I struggled with the feeling that I would be leaving her to struggle with the financial things on her own. And so I kind of was weighing, do I stay home and try to get a job and figure it out, or do I go off to college? Well, going to college uh, all came down to a refrigerator. Uh, it was the back-to-school time, and Walmart had all of the refrigerators on display that kids put in their college dorm rooms, along with all the back-to-school stuff. And as we were walking, it was me, my mom, it was my cousin and his wife. And um, I, I said, I said, man, I always wanted one of those little refrigerators. And so my cousin said, well, are you going to go to school? And I said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, if you're going to go to school, I'll buy you the refrigerator. And that's how I made my decision to go to college <laughs> that fall. This is a very, very true story. Well, on the morning um, that I was supposed to leave, I was packed up and my mom and my brother were going to drive me up to school. I still was kind of unsettled about leaving my mom. So right before I left, I knelt but down beside my bed and I just prayed and said, Lord, do, do you really want me to go to school? And specifically, this was a Christian school. It was Bible college. I, I sensed a call to the ministry. And I did this thing that sometimes we do. I played a game of Bible roulette. Okay? How many of you guys have played Bible roulette before? Okay? This is not the best way to hear from the Lord. But I do think that the Lord in his kindness will use all kinds of means to get his message to us. And. So this particular Sunday, I prayed, Lord, tell me if you want me to go to college. I played the Bible roulette. I opened the Bible to a random page, put my finger on it. And the verse that my finger fell on was Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, which reads, Then he said, Jesus Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so I took that to mean that I should go to college, and I went, and those are four of the best and most transformative years of my life. And fast forward several years, and here I am before you, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But all of that to say that this verse, verse 937, it is the backdrop of what we read in our, in our passage this morning, the part of the story that we read this morning. And what was happening was Jesus had been traveling through all these Jewish towns and cities in the region of Galilee. And he had been healing all manner of disease and illness, casting out demons and teaching the people. And Matthew tells us that as Jesus was doing this, he looked out on the crowds. And it says that he had compassion on them because essentially they were being abused. Jesus says he has compassion on them because they were like sheep sheep without a shepherd, and they had been harassed. And what Jesus was alluding to was the fact that those who were supposed to be caring for them, the religious leaders and the godly folk, they were instead neglecting them and what's more had been treating them poorly. And so these men and women were coming to Jesus in such great numbers because they had not been looked after the way they should have been by those who were appointed to do so. So then Jesus, seeing the need for these people to be cared for in the ways that they needed to be cared for, he turns to the disciples, having compassion, and says, how few people there are serving the way they should. Pray. Pray, disciples. Pray that the Lord would send people out to do the work. Because the harvest is plentiful, but boy, are the workers few. Well, our passage this morning is actually the answer to that prayer. And ironically, Jesus calls 12 of the disciples who he asked to pray to be the very answer to their prayer. And I just want to say at this point. That it's extremely important that we are able to recognize when we ourselves serve as the answer to our own prayer. It's very important to be able to recognize when you yourself are the answer to your prayer. And I don't mean this in some humanistic way that says that God doesn't exist and we're down here doing everything that we do on our own. I mean it like James means it in James chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, where he says, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well and fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? And it's kind of like you've been praying for God to help your friend pay their bills or some financial need that they have. And the Lord responds by saying, so what in the world did I put all that money into your bank account for? Right? Right? Or you've been praying, saying, God, I need to be more healthy, I need to be more physically fit. And the Lord is like, so what have you been donating all that money to LA Fitness for? Right? It's important that we can recognize when we're asking the Lord for something that has already been placed in our own power to accomplish. In other words, recognize, brothers and sisters, when you are the answer to your own prayer, and that's free. There might be too many free things in here, which is why the sermon is too long, but I give that to you. Going back to the sermon, though, the disciples become to answer their own prayer. And Matthew tells us that Jesus gives them authority over unclean spirits in order to cast them out of people. He gives them the authority to heal every disease and affliction. And he sends them out into these Jewish towns with very, very specific directions about how they are to go about this mission that Jesus gives them. And I want us to take a look at what Jesus tells the disciples to do. And I want us to see how it correlates to how I believe the Lord would have us continue in the very same mission today in 2023. Amen. Amen. These apostles, these forerunners of the church, these are those who kind of blaze the trail and we continue to walk this path behind them. And the first thing that he tells these disciples, these apostles to do is preach. He tells them to preach. Jesus tells them to preach. I got to get used to this glasses thing. Because when I'm looking at you, it looks weird. And then I look at the thing and it looks weird. What am I supposed to do, Anthony? Just bifocus. Oh, that's what I got to do. Okay. I'm going to hold it like this. I'm going to like that. A lot of you guys had direction. I didn't hear any of it. But thank you so much for your help. But Jesus tells them, he says, to proclaim or preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And historically here at Redeemer Community Church, we have defined the kingdom as wherever the rule or reign of God exists. And this is true. But here's the other part of that. God's kingdom exists everywhere because God is still the king who is sovereign over everything and everyone, even where there isn't submission to his rule. So considering both of these aspects of the kingdom and of God's kingship, what does Jesus mean by saying that the kingdom of heaven is now at hand? Well, speaking specifically of the kingdom and of God's kingship as understood in the Old Testament, which would have been the backdrop to what Jesus was saying here, R.T. France, who who I've said before is this this writer and scholar who I've grown to love and respect a lot, he explains the kingdom drawn near in this way. He says, and it should be up on the board, he says... But alongside this unquestioned datum or given fact of the eternal sovereignty of God, there developed a sense that all was not as God would have it in this world. And with this, the hope of a time to come when God's rule would be more fully and openly implemented and acknowledged among the people of the earth. And quoting Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9, the Lord will become king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. In other words, brothers and sisters, the, king, the kingdom coming near means that God, through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, is presently making the world as it should be. And for us, what this means is that the activity, that, that with us actively submitting to the rule and reign of God, will ensure our, our participation in this as-it-should-be world. And this is the gospel, Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jesus is currently making all things as they should be in this world. And faith in him and living faithfully for him is the only way for us to take part in that process now and in in the final product in the end. In the new heaven and the new earth in which all things will be as they should. And so with all that said, there are two ways that I think that we need to think about this preaching of the kingdom, this kingdom coming today. And the first one is this, the more common way, which means, you know, coming here to church, hearing the word preached, hearing the word taught. And what I, what, what's important for us to understand, brothers and sisters, is this. The church, the local church, we are the primary means of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being disseminated or distributed to the watching world. Amen? We are the primary source. Notice I didn't say the only source, but the primary source. And wherever the church ceases to preach the kingdom, the church is ceasing to be on mission. And so as the church, we have to make sure that we are preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That the Lord Jesus Christ is making all things as they should be. And by having faith in him and living faithfully for him, we are thereby accomplishing our part in that kingdom. But the second way to think about preaching is how we share this message in our own lives. In our own personal lives and our own personal relationships. And we all should be proclaiming the kingdom in our personal lives and our personal relationships. But here's the thing I've heard from some people that there are only certain ways to do this, right? I've heard from people that the only way to preach the gospel in your personal life is to do open air preaching, right? Go set up a soapbox somewhere, stand on the corner, and, and preach at people. Some people do it well, some people don't do it so well. But some people say that's the only way to really preach, to preach the gospel. Right? Others would say, hey, you got to do it the way of the master way. How many of you guys are familiar with the way of the master? Just me and you, Mary. Oh, and Linda. The OGs again. Here he is. Oh, oh, and Antonio. Right? The way of the master is this way where you go out into the malls and into Walmart and you hand out the tracks and you get kicked out and you glorify the Lord for your persecution. Then you go to the next one. Was it just me? We, we used to go to the Walmart and hand them out and, and try to provoke the security guard to kick us out. And when he finally did, we'd go out and say, yes! Count ourselves worthy to suffer for the faith, yes, Lord! Right? Amen. And at that time, I would have said that was the only way to really do it. And then there's other people who say, you shouldn't say anything about the kingdom until you develop a certain depth of relationship with a person. Don't even bring up Jesus until you have the relational equity to do so. Well, what I'll say to all of these different options is, yes. Yes. Because we are all created differently. We all have different giftings. We all relate differently with people. We're all effective in our communication in different ways. So however you feel best, you feel called by the Lord, created by the Lord to communicate the kingdom, the message of the kingdom... Yes. The only thing that Jesus tells us as followers of Christ is this. Do it. Just do it. Now, if I see you on the corner yelling and screaming and doing some crazy stuff, Pastor Mac is going to tell you, not not that way. Okay? But if we can tweak some stuff and you start speaking a little bit, then yeah, that way is good too. However you feel called to do it, just do it. And so the first thing Jesus tells them, he says to pray, I mean to preach. The second thing he tells them is this heal people. Go out and heal. Now, there's little doubt in my mind that when Jesus gives them authority to go out and heal and cast out demons and such, that he is giving them the authority to do this supernaturally. And what that means is that they go out and they are healing people and there is no mediation of a doctor or, or any kind of medical care or anything. That the only way we can explain what these people are experiencing is the divine intervention of the Lord God himself in bringing healing and deliverance to their bodies. That's it. But the question I have and the question I pose, we went through this, we went through this in, in Wednesday night Bible study. Quick quick question. What is this discourse called in Matthew chapter 10? How many of you guys remember? Went through the five discourses. Come on now. The discourse on mission. Right, right. That's my girl. That's my girl. The discourse on mission. And the question we have is has this authority been passed down to us to the degree that we are able to just go out and invoke supernatural you know, power to just see people healed and things like that? Well, the answer I have for that is I don't know. Okay? We see some very weird examples of things happening out in the world. I saw some stuff online where a, a woman came up to the front and said she wanted her stomach to be flat. And the man supernaturally flattened her stomach. Okay, so there's some weird things going on out there, but I do believe that God is supernaturally healing people. So so exactly how this works in that way, I don't know. However, I do believe that we as the church have access to God Almighty through the mediation of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we can call on his authority to accomplish these things through prayer. Each and every one of us have this kind of access. And we see this in James chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, where James says, Is any among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So we can intercede for supernatural healing, but I think that this charge to heal also entails a call to care for people who are hurting and in distress and in pain through the ordinary means that are available to us. You know, we hear a lot about how terrible the church is and how terrible the church has been throughout history. But we don't hear enough about how amazing the church has been throughout history. Did you know, brothers and sisters, that the institution of hospitals And orphanages are exclusively born of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was no such institution as a hospital. There was no such institution as an orphanage. But it's because people of God, faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, took this call to heal very seriously. I remember my teacher, this is another free part, I remember my teacher telling me um, he was teaching up in uh, New Jersey at a college up there, and while he was at school teaching, 9-11 happened. And he said, while 9-11 happened, his first thing, he turned on the TV, he saw it was up the street, he said, all right, we stopped class, he said, whoever wants to come with me, I'm about to hop on the train and head right to um, uh, the World Trade Center and see how we can help. And he said, nobody followed him. And I sat there in class, and my first inclination was, man, you crazy. But then I thought to myself, the gospel is the call to go. And if the church had been more concerned about their own well-being, we would never have a hospital. You see, the history of Christianity is that if that is where the diseases are if that is where the hurting is happening well that's where we need to be so the call is to go and heal wherever we find those who are hurting and here's the here's the thing that's uniquely christian about it is even if it costs you especially when it costs you you go And so we are called to heal. Well, the third thing that Jesus says to them is this. He says, trust in the Lord's provision. In other words, Jesus says, rely on hospitality, which is the Lord's provision. And this particular part of the passage is a little difficult to apply today because... Providing for our basic needs is actually commanded by Jesus elsewhere in Scripture. In Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 36, Jesus said, Jesus, he then asked them, speaking to the 12 disciples, this is another account of the same mission that Jesus sends them, sends them out on. He says, um, Jesus speaking of the same mission, he says, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. And he said to them, but now... If you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. In other words, being sent out without any provision served for the disciples as a lesson in how to trust the provision of the Lord, which we all need to do. But somehow this is balanced by reasonably considering how to make provision for themselves. However, the lesson for us from this story remains. No matter what we're doing, no matter where we are on mission, we are called to trust the Lord to provide for the work and for the life to which he has called us. And here's the thing about trusting the Lord for provision. If we are endeavoring or trying to do anything for the Lord that does not require us to trust the Lord to provide beyond what we are capable then that endeavor is too small. That endeavor falls short of a kingdom endeavor and it is likely not a God-given mission. And that may seem to contradict what I said earlier about using your regular, your ordinary means to serve people, but I'm not talking about that. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that if we ever get to a place where we can do church or marriage or raise children or care for people or whatever else without having to stay on our face before the Lord in prayer, then brothers and sisters, we're trying to accomplish God's mission in our own strength. And wherever we do that, we can be sure that we are going to burn out and fail. We need the Lord's provision and we need to seek it constantly. I'm trying to move as fast as I can, brothers and sisters. The fourth thing we see here in this passage is this. We stay where we are welcomed and we leave where we're not. Stay where you're welcome and leave where you're not. I feel like this is the one, this is the spicy one, right, where the wheels are turning. What does, does he mean I can leave right now? (laughs) No. That's not what I'm saying. But recently I heard a sermon that was um, incredibly discouraging, to say the least. Uh, My family and I were away in um, a certain city. You know, the Bible says a certain city. That's how I'm going to say it too. We were away in a certain city, um, and we went to a certain church there. And with this being the Memorial Sunday, the, right after Memorial, right before Memorial Monday, they wanted to honor the country, which is perfectly fine, nothing wrong about that. But the entire sermon was pretty much about how America is God's country, and how she's, how she, amen, hey, hey, I hear you. And how she's, you probably not gonna like the next part, just to set you up, whoever's so excited, but how America is God's country, and how she's falling away from God and how we need to fight to make sure that America stays committed to God so we don't lose our status as God's favorite place. It almost felt like the preacher was saying that America is rejecting the gospel, and so it's our job as the church to keep calling America to repentance so that we don't lose our favorite place in God's heart. They began this, he began the sermon by an older gentleman who was clearly proud to serve, and I'm grateful for his service. I think he had been injured in service, but an older, white-haired man, he came up with his, all his medals and stuff, and, 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 you know, and I am grateful for him, but he got up there and he, he recited some preamble or some, something. I'm not the best with American, American history, but he recited something that was American, and then after that he prayed, he said, Lord, let these words be etched on our heart. Lord, he said, let this be the, 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 I think, some like the swearing of our hearts or something like that. And I said, oh my goodness gracious. Because when I look in the scripture, there's only one thing that God says to be etched on our hearts, and that's the law. That's the word of God. And to take a moment on Sunday morning to pray for anything else but the holy word of God to be etched on our hearts is pretty close to idolatry. And this man said, we have to fight, we have to call America back to repentance. America's going to lose her favor. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, isn't this exactly what Jesus calls us to do? Jesus says, if you go somewhere and they reject your words, argue with them. Argue with them in their churches and in their halls of politics and in their halls of justice. Showing them how wrong they are, declaring their condemnation, declaring that their country is no longer in favor with God. Isn't this what Jesus says? No. Jesus, Jesus actually says, beginning in verse 11, he says, whatever town or village you enter, this is interesting, man, I didn't want to add this, but he said, search there for some worthy person. What does it mean to search for a worthy person? He said, search for a worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. <sighs> Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. In other words, Jesus says, if they don't accept your words, leave them alone. Let it be. Let them be. Listen, the gospel is the greatest gift to the world and to this universe. And if somebody don't want a gift, don't force it on them. Don't force it on them. God will enact justice against those who reject the truth. It's not our job to fight for the Christian identity of this country. There is no Christian country. There are only people who accept the kingdom and people who reject the kingdom. And you can find those people in every nation, in every city. And friends, we are called to proclaim the kingdom to all people in every nation. We are called to trust the Lord for his provision in all things, in every nation. And wherever the kingdom is rejected, we are called to entrust those people to both God's care and God's judgment. And friends, hear me again. I am not saying to be ungrateful. Just, just, just to throw this caveat out there, I am grateful to live in the U.S.A. I am great. This country is pretty messed up and pretty great. Can I say that? Yes. Amen. I am great. And I am not saying that we need to leave America. I am not saying that we don't fight for justice or that we don't speak out against wrong. What I am saying though, brothers and sisters, is that we have to stop fighting battles that Jesus explicitly told us not to fight. Is this country rejecting Jesus? Are your friends rejecting Jesus? Don't get mad and fight them over it. Instead, grieve for them. Because what you know and what I know is that they're heading straight for destruction. And friends, if you see somebody about to run into a uh, some to ditch or or jump off a, a cliff, and you care about them and love them. You're not about to run up and punch them in the face or go up and trip them up. And, no, I, I, I promise you, my punch is a lot stronger than what you just saw. Okay. <laughs> some of you guys are like, "Whoo, Pastor Mac has been in the gym." Okay, The punch a little stronger than that. But you don't. We don't do that. You'll do all that you can to deter them to safety. But at some point, brothers and sisters, we have to let go and let God. We have to let go and let God. And you know what? Um, I believe that we believe, as the church, that the gift is the gospel. But sometimes I think we fight and we get so mad and stuff It's because we actually actually at some point struggle with thinking that the gift is not the gospel, but the validation that we experience when the world accepts our message of the kingdom. Right? I want you to think about this. This is why we get so excited when another celebrity claims Christ. Right? Why we get so excited when Kanye said some good stuff. Right? Or Chris Pratt went on the Nickelodeon thing and said what he said. We get so excited. Oh, look, I told you. Look, Jesus can save them. It's real. And we feel validated. And we get so mad when they disagree because it steals our validation. Brothers and sisters, the gospel don't need Kanye. The gospel don't need Chris Pratt. The gospel got Jesus. He's the gift. So stop fighting tooth and nail for acceptance. Because here's the crazy thing that Jesus tells us, and this is the last point here that acceptance is not the likely result. And this point, this is our last point this morning. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Jesus says, prepare for rejection. Prepare for rejection. The majority of this discourse on mission, as Matthew 10 is called, is about persecution for being on mission in the kingdom. For this whole passage, this whole chapter 10, Jesus says just a little bit about what mission is and how to go about it. And the rest of chapter 10 is all about persecution and how to face it and how to deal with it. Why? Why? Because persecution is the inevitable and yet shocking result of sharing the gospel. And just like us, I think that the disciples would have been shocked at the suffering they were about to endure for spreading the gospel. Unless Jesus told them about it. Jesus didn't want them to be surprised, and I don't think he wants us to be surprised either. Friends, stop being surprised when they don't like you because they found out you go to church. Stop being surprised when they find out that you're one of those Christian people and they don't want nothing to do with you. We love to say today, we love to say, oh, I'm sorry. I know the church has been bad. I know the church has been so bad, that's why you reject." The church. Friends, take that same person and tell them what the Bible says about their sin and about the life they're living. Talk to that person about what Jesus really talks about in the Bible, about righteousness and sin and all that, and trust me, it won't have anything to do with the church. It'll be all about Jesus that they don't like. rejection is going to happen instead of being shocked Jesus says be ready in verse 16 Jesus says I am sending you out like sheep among wolves therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves again I say don't be surprised be prepared like a snake know how to move wisely in this crazy world but unlike a snake be innocent of the evil and the harm that they will accuse us of. Friends, they're going to call you hateful. They're going to call you closed-minded. They're going to call us all kinds of things when in reality, if our hearts are right before the Lord, all we wanted to do was serve and share this gift. My teacher used to say when I was back in high school, she says, um, she said they didn't like Jesus either. But look what he did. Friends, we have to know how to move in this world. To put it in a succinct way, we need to be cunning without the venom. Be cunning without the venom know how to love people, know how to be in this world with people, know how to accept their rejection and not be destroyed by it, but also know how to know how not to repay wrong for wrong. That's not what we're about. Friends, the kingdom that we steward is the greatest gift to the universe. And we have to treat it like a gift and we offer it as freely as we can to as many people as we can, but we offer it in love. With healing care, trusting the Lord's provision, and letting the chips fall where they may. Amen.